Tonight, God's Word comes to us once again from 1 Kings chapter 18. 1 Kings 18. Tonight, we are going to begin our reading at verse 16 and then read through verse 21. First Kings chapter 18, beginning at verse 16. What we hear now is God's word. So Obadiah went to meet Ahab and told him, and Ahab went to meet Elijah. When Ahab saw Elijah, Ahab said to him, Is it you, you troubler of Israel? And he answered, I have not troubled Israel, but you have and your father's house, because you have abandoned the commandments of the Lord and followed the Baals. Now, therefore, send and gather all Israel to me at Mount Carmel, and the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. So Ahab sent to all the people of Israel and gathered the prophets together at Mount Carmel. And Elijah came near to all the people and said, How long will you go on limping between two different opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. And the people did not answer him a word. Here we end the reading of God's holy word. Well, I have to uh, confess tonight, um, I'm becoming a little embarrassed. I feel like a, a used car salesman doing a bait and switch technique. I've been telling you we're going to get to the Mount Carmel contest. Uh, I've been telling you that for about the last four weeks or so. Uh, we began chapter 18 recognizing that the Word of God was back in the land. Then we talked about Elijah's encounter with Obadiah. Then we talked about Elijah's encounter with Ahab. And I thought that tonight we would actually get to the contest. We will not. Tonight, Elijah's encounter with the people. Now, really, really hopefully next Sunday. Really, I hope next Sunday to get to the contest itself. But, but once more, preparing for what that contest is all about. Uh, tonight, focusing our attention just on verses 20 and 21. So Ahab sent to all the people of Israel and gathered the prophets together at Mount Carmel. And Elijah came near to all the people and said, How long will you go on limping between two different opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal then follow him. And the people did not answer him a word. I think of the sermons we've had in chapter 18. This is the most difficult one to hear. It's not a word from the Lord, first of all directed to his prophet. It's not a word of the Lord directed to his servant, Obadiah. It's not the word of God directed to Ahab, the king over God's people. But it is a word directed particularly 
to the people themselves. Elijah confronts God's people and sets before them a question and a challenge. The call to full obedience to God, wholehearted devotion, one holy passion we just sang about, filling all my frame. And as that, as that word came to these people so long ago, uh, that word comes to us as well tonight. Elijah confronts the people. Verse 20, and Ahab sent to all the people of Israel to gather the prophets together at, at Mount Carmel. Mount Carmel is a fitting place for this uh, meeting between God and the people. Mount Carmel was known as a place of blessing. It was, it was almost um, uh, a figure of speech to talk about the beauty of the heights of Mount Carmel. It would conjure up wonderful images of a wonderful place of blessing. Uh, we, might, uh, we might conjure up the image today of beauty and talk about um, the beaches of Tahiti. Now, I haven't been to Tahiti, but I've seen pictures. And we get this beautiful picture of, of wonderful relaxation and a beautiful place to be. That was what they heard when they heard, go to the heights of Mount Carmel, a place of blessing for them. That blessing... Uh, spoken of in the prophets. We think of the prophet Isaiah. In Isaiah 35, when God promises to bring his blessing to his people, uh, Isaiah says this, the wilderness and the dry land shall be glad. The desert shall bloom and blossom like the crocus. It shall blossom abundantly and rejoice with joy and singing. The glory of Lebanon shall be given to it, the majesty of Carmel and Sharon. They shall see the glory of the Lord, the majesty of our God. It was, it was picturesque of God's glory, of his majesty, and of his blessing. But even this beautiful place was not immune to God's judgment. We hear that also in the prophets. When the prophet Amos speaks about God coming in judgment. Amos uh, chapter 1, verse 2. The Lord roars from Zion and utters his voice from Jerusalem. The pastures of the shepherds mourn and the top of Carmel withers. Even this beautiful place, this place of blessing was not immune from God's judgment. Once again from the prophets, from Nahum chapter 1, verse 4. He rebukes the sea and makes it dry. He dries up the rivers. Bashan and Carmel wither. This place of blessing, this place of beauty, yet not immune from the judgment of God. And so it's a fitting place for God to come and meet with his people. For it is where God has met with them before. Now, like I said, next week we'll actually get to the Carmel contest, but if you look ahead just a little bit to verse 30 of this chapter, verse 30, we read this, Then Elijah said to all the people, Come near to me. And all the people came near to him. And he repaired the altar of the Lord that had been thrown down. Now, I think when I grew up and I heard this story, uh, when it says he repaired the altar of the Lord, 
I was of the mind that that was an altar that he had built right at that time, but when the other prophets were doing all their crazy things, they knocked down his altar, so he had to rebuild it again. That's not what's going on here. This is not an altar he has just built. This is a historic altar, because Carmel was a place of meeting between God and his people. It was a place where they would come to worship him. It was a place of of covenant renewal where they would be reminded that God was their God and he had chosen to enter into a relationship, a marriage relationship with his people. He promised to provide for them and to care for him and they were to respond by living as the people of God. Carmel, a place of covenant renewal between God and his people, a fitting place for him to meet with them. And so we read, Ahab sent to all the people of Israel, gathered the prophets together at Mount Carmel. And Elijah came near to all the people and said, How long will you go on limping between two different opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him, but if Baal, then follow him. Elijah comes with the most basic, fundamental question uh, that we can face. Who is your God? Who is your God? Who is the God who you will serve? Who is the God who you will follow? And he says, how long? How long will you wait to recognize the difference between those two? How long will you go on limping between these two different opinions? It had been three years without rain. Three years of God coming in judgment to bring his people to repentance, and they had not yet. The prophet says, how long is it going to take? When will you recognize your obligation, your commitment to the Lord must take first place in your life? How long will you go on this way? They will be called to to react to this personal, powerful word of the Lord. We have seen God's word reacted to in this Elijah cycle already. Remember, the cycle is about the power of the word of God. We've seen in chapter 18, Obadiah's response to God's word. Obadiah uh, responding in fear, not wanting to publicly uh, declare his devotion to God, but then willing to obey when confronted. We've seen Ahab responding to the word of God, responding with stubbornness. In fact, charging Elijah, you're the one who is troubling Israel and refusing to submit before God. Now Elijah comes to the people. How will they respond? Who is it they will worship? Who is it they will serve? As that question came before the people of Israel. That question comes, and we are faced with it today as well. And the question is personal. The question God comes to us with tonight is not, first of all, who will the elders serve? 
It's not who will the ministers serve. It's not who will your parents serve. The question isn't even who will your spouse serve. But the question is personal and powerful and it comes to each of us directly. Who will you serve? Will you recognize your obligation to God? Where do you stand with Him? Will you follow Him? Will you give Him that wholehearted obedience and devotion? And it is a matter of the heart. This question comes and pierces them to their soul. How long? How long will you go on limping between these two opinions? The most fundamental, basic, personal question that comes from the Word of God. If, if Baal is God, then follow him. But if God, then follow him. He lays before them the two choices. And these two are mutually exclusive. You cannot serve both. They had tried. They had given lip service to uh, worship of God, but had also, remember, Ahab brought in the worship of the Baals. He set up a temple and an altar in the capital in Samaria. He tried to, to have it both ways, serving God and serving Baal. But at this, at this mountain where God would meet with his people, where they would sacrifice on the altar, it was a reminder of the covenant. Again, like a marriage. God married Israel, his bride. And marriage is an exclusive covenant. It's an exclusive obligation. There are to be no others who enter into that relationship. God comes as that husband to his bride, Israel. But even as he comes, this is an expression of, of his ongoing love and mercy to them, an expression of his grace. He calls them and reminds them of their obligation. I am your God. I am the God who loves you. Will you follow me, or will you follow the Baals? And I think that one of the things most troubling to me in this passage is that this question comes to the people of God. Elijah is not here confronting the nations. He is not confronting only Baal worshipers, but he comes to God's people. This is how, how far things had gotten. He, he doesn't go to those, what we say, outside the church. He comes to those inside the church and says to them, how long will you go limping between these two opinions? If God is God, follow him. If Baal is God, follow him. A simple, direct, pointed question, who is it that you will serve 
Who is it that you will follow? That's what the people were confronted with. There was no confusion, a direct question to them. What do we read at the end of verse 21? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. And the people did not answer him a word. Silence. Awful, deafening silence when confronted with this most basic question. Will you follow God, the God of your fathers, the God who has cared for you throughout history, the God who brought your forefathers out of captivity, the God who brought them into the new land, the God who has cared for them throughout the years? Will you follow him? Or will you follow the Baals, these new recent uh, uh, worship practices they were having? The choice was obvious, and they answered not a word. Some suggest it was shame on their part which kept them silent, that they did now recognize how bad things had become that this question should come to them, the people of God. They were, they were ashamed when confronted this way. If that was the case, then they should have called out, God, forgive us. They should have repented. They should have prayed that he would forgive their sins. They do not do that. Some have suggested it was fear on their part which kept them silent. After all, the people are there with 450 prophets of Baal and 400 prophets of Asherah, and they were afraid of the numbers. But that is to forget that their God is more powerful than these false gods. Their God had withheld the rain for the last three years. They had nothing to fear. I would suggest tonight the reason for their silence when confronted with the question, who will you follow, was a matter of sinful hesitation. A refusal on their part to commit wholeheartedly to the God who knew them. They wanted the best of both worlds. They wanted to continue limping between two opinions. They did not want to have to declare right then and right there who it is they would follow. They wanted to have both. They wanted the God of their fathers, and they wanted the, the Baals. They wanted, they wanted to stay on the fence. On one side of that fence, wholehearted devotion and commitment to God. On the other side, 
going after the Baals and following after them. They wanted to stay on the fence, sinful hesitation. I heard a speaker many, many years ago, and I wish I could remember who it was. I do not, or I would give him credit. But I heard him talking about, about what it means to remain on the fence. These people not wanting to follow wholeheartedly after God, not wanting to follow wholeheartedly after the Baals, they stayed on the fence. And he says, so often in life we're confronted with that. Following the ways of God or following the ways of the devil? And he ended that particular illustration of us wanting to find a middle ground. He said, the trouble is we forget the fence belongs to the devil. If we remain on the fence, the fence belongs to the devil. God says there is no middle ground. There is no neutrality. Either we commit heart and soul and mind and strength to following after him, or we commit to the bales or try to have both, which is just as bad. How long? How long will we try to live with one foot in the church and one foot in the world? How long will we try to go limping between two opinions? God calls us once again tonight to a wholehearted commitment to Him. And when, when we answer that call, that will be reflected in the way that we live. You will know what the answer is. When you look at our families, when you look at how we do our work, when we look at how we educate our children, when we look at what we do for recreation time, all of those will reflect the answer to the question, who will you follow, who will you serve? When the people were confronted, they responded with silence. Their silence would lead to judgment. But silence on the mountain, silence on the mountain points us forward to another confrontation that took place on another mountain. Not Mount Carmel in Israel, but, but a confrontation on Mount Calvary, where Jesus would be hanging on the cross, bearing the sins of the world, and he would cry out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And the response would be deafening silence. He would hang there in agony while the Father closed his ears to the words of his Son. On Carmel, the silence would lead to judgment. On Calvary, the silence leads to our blessing. Jesus Christ condemned. Jesus Christ 
killed. God the Father remaining silent that His Son might perfectly fulfill the work of redemption. God responds in silence that we might have the blessing of knowing a Redeemer who has gone all the way to the end of the judgment on our behalf. He took the penalty. He took the punishment. And he, he calls us tonight not to remain silent, but to recognize His work. Recognize what He has done. Embrace Him as our Lord and Savior. If God is God, follow him. I can tell you without reservation, God is God. He is the God who sits on the throne. He is the God who rules over all. His son, Jesus Christ, is the one hope for humanity. And he calls us tonight to commit to following him. When we reflect on what Jesus Christ has done for us, the extent of his suffering on our behalf, we cannot remain silent. God calls us to declare our devotion to him. This is a matter of life and death. We cannot go on limping between two opinions. God has been patient. He has waited. And yet he comes to us tonight once again in his word. How long? How long will you keep limping? If God is God, follow him. If the Baals are God, then follow them. God calls us to recognize who he is, to recognize what he has done. No longer to remain silent, but with wholehearted devotion. Lord, you are God. And by your grace and by your spirit, I will follow. That's how God confronts us tonight. Let's join together in prayer. Lord our God, we thank you and praise you for your holy word. It is a word that at times is very encouraging, at times very comforting, but also at times, Lord God, jarring, a word that confronts us, a word that challenges us. Once again tonight, we have been called to reflect on our devotion to you. Lord God, if there are those here who are still limping between two opinions, may we recognize you have been patient but your patience will come to an end. Oh, we pray, Lord God, you would help us with all our heart to declare our love and our devotion to you, that you would strengthen us by your spirit. We might live out the implications of that devotion, that truly, oh God, we might have that one holy passion which fills all of our frame. This is our prayer. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.